So a few months ago, uh, Angela, who's just up here singing, she's one of our deacons, she said, um, you know what I'm curious about? She says, I'm curious about what this church thinks it means to be the light. I thought that was a really good question. How many people grew up in the church? All right, a few of you. Uh, how many people remember the song? Like we, we, we talk about being the light a lot, right? It happens all the time. So we start off when we're really young and we're singing um, this little light of mine, right? We're all going to let it shine. What aren't we going to do? We're not going to hide it under a bushel. No. Uh, and we do that, right? We talk about what it means to be the light. Uh, and then uh, if you're like me, if you were uh, an evangelical kid growing up, uh, especially a white, straight evangelical kid growing up, you listen to DC Talk. Anybody ever do that? Uh, yeah, okay, good, good. And, and, uh, and we listen to DC Talk, and um, there's a song, Be the Light. You sort of graduate from this little light of mine. Uh, and this is what their song, Be the Light, says. It keeps, I, I keep trying to find a life on my own apart from you. I'm the king of excuses. I got one for every selfish thing I do. What's going on inside of me? I despise my own behavior. This only serves to confirm my suspicions. I'm still a man in need of a savior. I want to be in the light as you are in the light. I want to shine like the stars in the heavens. Be my light. Be my salvation. Because all I want to do is be the light. That's how it went. Oh, sorry. But anyway, anyway. Um, And that was it, right? So this spoke to me as a kid as to what it meant to be the light, because uh, what it talks about, and even DC Talk says it, so if DC Talk says it, you know it's got to be true. It's about behavior, right? It's about behavior modification. That's what it meant to be the light. So being the light was all about uh, having the right behavior, and I talk about it a lot at this church, how we want to move away from these moral platitudes or ideas of behavior modification, but that's what the light was for me, right? So if you were like me uh, in high school when everybody drank, you didn't drink, when people were having sex, you were sexually pure, right? And when you didn't curse in the basketball court like the rest of your friends, you know, you didn't do the things that they all did. And when they all said to you, how come you're not doing what we do? We would say, because we're being the light of Jesus, right? And then people would say to you, I don't want to have fun just like you're not having fun. How can I do that? And you say, this is how you can do it. And then you save people from hell. Um, that's how it all happens. So... So we want to change that, right? Because I don't think that's what it means to be the light anymore. This is the question that we are going to tackle uh, for the next few weeks. It's this. Uh, How can we be the light for a new kind of Christianity? How can we as Christians bring hope and change to God's kingdom? And how might we move our focus from platitudes and behaviors and morals to actions uh, actions and advocacy? How can we follow Jesus? How can we truly be the light of Christ? And so what our staff did is our staff sat down and we started thinking of ways that, it, what does it mean to be the light for a, a progressive Christian church like ours? Like, what does that look like? And we came up with a few different ideas. And one that we came up with is so important. It's so incredibly important that we're actually going to talk about it twice. We're going to talk about it this week, and we're going to talk about it two weeks from now. And that thing, the way that we think we can be the light, especially as a progressive church, is through prayer. I know, you're all like, prayer? Prayer's a little stale. It's a little boring. No, prayer. I really believe, we really believe in this church that prayer changes things. In fact, we say it every single Sunday. Prayer changes things. We want to be the light through the way we pray, which makes me uh, want to ask you all, how's your, all prayer, how's, how's your prayer life? How's it going? Is it good? Do you pray? Do you know how to pray? Do you feel comfortable praying? How does that look and how does that feel for you? We did this series last February. If you were here, it was the Enneagram series, which you either loved or you hated. There was no in between. And in that series, we talked about what it meant to pray uh, to find more about yourself. So we talked about contemplation, meditation. Maybe some people pray that way, okay? Um, 
But what I'm finding in my own life is that when I pray, I'm inconsistent at best. And so when I look at Jesus Christ and I look at the way Jesus Christ uh, uh, is the light, Jesus Christ is the light through the way he prayed. And the way he prayed, the easiest way to look at it, and a way, a template that I think we can use for being the light, is by using the Lord's Prayer. How many people have ever read, said the Lord's Prayer? Yep. Yep, exactly. Most of us. I taught my children the Lord's Prayer when they were two. They knew all the words. They had no idea what it meant, but they knew all the words, and that's all that mattered, so I could show it off. Um, And I think our prayers are, I think the Lord's Prayer is so simple that two-year-olds can memorize it, right? But they're also so theologically complex that it has literally thousands upon thousands of commentaries on the Lord's Prayer. But I think... I really believe that this is the way that we can be the light. And so I want to start, we're going to flip-flop back and forth between Matthew 6 and Luke 11. And I want to start at Luke 11. And it's at Luke 11, 1, you have the disciples, and this is what happens. It says, one day when Jesus was praying in a certain place, when he finished, one of the disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught the disciples. Now, there's two things that are incredibly fascinating about this. The disciples were with Jesus. They watched him heal people. They watched him do the Sermon on the Mount, which flipped society on its head. They watched him uh, uh, rage against the Roman Empire. They watched him deal with the religious, the irreligious, the sinners, and everybody else in between. They watched him uh, say parables. Thousands of people listened to him speak. They didn't want to know how to heal. They didn't want to know how to speak. They didn't want to know how to do any of that. They wanted Jesus to teach them how to pray, first and foremost. Interesting, right? Secondly... The disciples knew how to pray, and they knew how to pray incredibly well. They were experts at prayer already. If you practiced Judaism in the time of Jesus, you were an expert at prayer. You prayed every minute of the day. In fact, when you woke up, you would wake up and you would say, God, thank you for the breath that allows me to wake up. And I'm not even kidding. This is completely literal. When you would go to the bathroom in the morning, you would sit down, you would go to the bathroom, you would say, God, thank you that everything works. Like, you would say that. You would pray throughout the day. I think in Judaism, I think it's an incredible thing to pray gratitude throughout the day. And so the disciples, they were already praying gratitude throughout the day. And not only that, they were also reciting the Torah all day long. They were praying the Torah all day. They memorized the entire thing. We don't even know what the Torah is. It's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. That's the Torah. Now we know. I can't even memorize Jesus wept. Like, you know, and they're memorizing the entire Torah and they're praying it all throughout the day. So their prayer life was really, really strong. And yet they see something in Jesus. They see something in Jesus that, uh, that is different, right? Jesus gets away. There's a different uh, kind of fullness to his life. There's a light to the light of Jesus. What? Why would we want to pray like that instead? And so Jesus goes, all right. And so now we're going to flip over to Matthew 6. And Jesus says, uh, this is how you pray. When he says, when you do pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what you've done, uh, sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. How many people like HGTV? Oh, I hate it. Um, because I don't have any money to do any of those things. And so I don't like it. Um, but you know that I don't even know the show. The show where, like, the people buy the house and then they just, they just tear the, apart the insides. You know what shows I'm talking about? Somebody tell me what, that, what's that called? Fixer Upper. Thank you. But then they give the people, like, a sledgehammer and they're like, go ahead. And people are like, just 
tearing stuff out, right? That's what Jesus is doing right now with the disciples. Jesus is saying, you have a set, you're ready. Judaism has provided you this, but now we're just going to tear out the insides. We're going to clear it out. We're going to make some space. And sort of clear it out, there's two things I don't want you to do. I don't want you to pray like the people out on the street. And what he's saying first and foremost is do not pray religiously. Don't pray religiously. And what does that mean? So uh, in Judaism, remember how we just talked about they pray the Torah? Somebody would be out in front of the temple, and they'd be praying loudly, and they'd be praying the Torah in the most beautiful of ways. And, and literally, somebody would come along and be like, man, they started at Leviticus 13. I'm going to start at Exodus 6 to show that I know more. And they'd stand next to them, and they'd start praying the Torah from Exodus 6, right? Like, it was a competition to see who knew more, and it happened all of the time. And I like, I, I like the idea that... that um, that they prayed religiously because I think one of the biggest misconceptions we have, the biggest ways we pray is religiously, which means we're not praying for any reason other than to, we hope that we sound okay or we hope it makes sense. How many people hate praying out loud? Because we've made it about praying religiously. Oh my gosh, if I pray out loud and I say the wrong thing, then people are going to think I'm a weirdo, right? Like, that's praying religiously. About 10 years ago, I went on a missions trip and we had to have a night of prayer. And so I went and I didn't really know these people I was with uh, all that well, but then the pastor was like, all right, everybody, I want you to pray on your own. And immediately, everyone like collapsed onto their knees, and they prayed just loud enough like for you to sort of hear them angry, and they were like, <laughs> that's like sort of what you heard. It was weird. And then they started beating their chests, and I just stood there, and I was like, I don't know what to do. I'm scared. I don't <laughs> and so finally, I was just like, you know, because everybody's praying religiously, and it actually stopped me from wanting to pray. Like, I didn't know how to pray. That's what Jesus is talking about. He says, don't pray for other people. Praying for other people is praying religiously. All right? So, so he's saying, if, if, if it's going to help, go away. Lock yourself in a closet if it means that you're not going to, if it means you're going to be hindered by somebody else or another way of thinking or something like that or other people. And then he goes, don't pray like the pagans do. Well, what did the pagans do? There were literally hundreds of gods, right? And so what the pagans would do is they would just pray to every single one of those gods. So it sounded like babbling because they were just naming gods. And in naming gods, what they were doing is they were hoping that one of those gods, uh, they would catch the ear of one of those gods, and one of those gods would listen to their prayer and uh, answer their prayer, okay? Don't pray superstitiously is what Jesus is saying here. Don't pray superstitiously. And this one strikes me. Because you know what I think we all do? I think we are all great at praying superstitiously. All of us. Jesus or God is a genie in a lamp, and we rub that lamp, and we say, Dear Jesus, please help me get this job. Please help this relationship to go the way it needs to. Please, we want healing for this person. And we're just praying that Jesus pops out of the lamp, and boom, our wishes are granted. Right? That's sort of how we pray. We, we, we have these wants, and so we pray superstitiously. Now, here's the problem with praying superstitiously. What happens when our wishes, quote-unquote, aren't granted? God, you didn't fix that relationship. It didn't go the way I wanted. I didn't get the job. I didn't find that parking spot. Y'all pray for parking spots. Don't lie. <laughs> hey, you know, I didn't find it, right? Like, what do we do? Well, all of a sudden, now we doubt God. God, you must not be real. You must not be in my life. It affects our faith, and it affects our faith because we're praying superstitiously. We're rubbing a genie and hoping the genie pops out to grant our wishes, and we're not taking into account that we're dealing with the infinite and unimaginable God. And so to pray superstitiously makes God just a little bit higher than us and says when we don't get what we want, our faith is now compromised in it. Jesus says that's, 
That's not going to help you. You're not going to be the light that way. He says, here's what you're going to do. Don't pray religiously. Don't pray superstitiously. Here's what you're going to say. You're going to say, our Father in heaven. Now, this would have been absolutely scandalous. I mean, scandalous. Can you feel the scandal? <laughs> None of us can, right? The disciples would have been like, <gasps> I always say this, but if they had monocles on, they all would have fallen off and cracked. That's how scandalous this was. Okay, this was a really big deal. Why? Well, we all know Leviticus 24, right? What does it say? It says, anyone who blasphemes the name of the Lord will be put to death. The entire assembly must stone them, whether foreign or native-born. When they blaspheme the name, they are put to death. So what happens is when anybody said the name of God in such a way that they thought might be um, oh, oh, less than flattering towards God, they would kill you. And so the people had a really good idea for this. They said, well, let's not ever say the name of God, period, just to hedge our bets and make sure we don't get killed. Okay? So you never said the name of God, ever. And what does Jesus do? Our Father says a name, gives God a name. Now, right, all, all we, what we think is we think that God's assigning a gender. God is not, or Jesus is assigning a gender. Jesus is not assigning a gender here. Not at all. Okay? Uh, what Jesus is doing is Jesus is saying, um, uh, you know, and I should say this. I should say that at our church, uh, we believe God is genderless. The infinite and unimaginable is genderless. God is bigger than gender or any kind of gender construct. And so what, what Jesus is saying is, when I say my Father in heaven, I'm evoking security. Or I'm evoking a sense of, of intimacy. I'm evoking a sense of closeness. And so a lot of scholars will say what Jesus was evoking was actually the father and the prodigal son. So when the son is a long way off, the father comes running and hugs his son and puts a, a robe on him and they, they celebrate. And what Jesus is saying, simply by saying our father in heaven, Jesus is saying our God is way closer and not separate from us. Our God wants nothing more than to love us. Our God wants us to be secure in our God. That's what Jesus is saying. So for some of us, Father is perfect because we have great relationships with our fathers. We feel secure with our fathers. For some of us, Father is a terrible thing to say, right? We didn't have a good relationship, so maybe we say mother or maybe we say sibling. What is the thing that evokes feelings of security and joy and peace and feeling like you're not far off from love? What is that feeling? What is that that's what Jesus wants us to call God. That's the thing. That's what we're looking for by saying our Father in heaven. We're not assigning gender. We're looking to know that we are secure and that we are loved and we are never far away from God. That's what we're doing. And then the next line. Jesus says, hallowed be thy name. Hallowed be your name. Now, Jesus says, as intimate and as secure and as wonderful as God is, you are never far. God is also the infinite and unimaginable. God is huge. I, I say this all the time. It's my favorite quote ever. God does not exist. God is the ground of all existence. Right? God is so big that God's the ground of all existence. Hallowed be your name. There is a mystery. There is a God that is so big we can't even fathom it. And here's, like, here's the way I like to um, think about this when I pray. I like to think of our, our universe Where's a picture of our universe? We have it? No? Maybe? Yes? Anyway. Um, in our universe, whenever it comes up, uh, we have our universe, and it's amazing, and then we have Earth, and Earth is no joke. It is like a speck. It is a speck in the midst of our universe, uh, like the tiniest little speck. And not only that, not only is it the littlest, tiniest speck, but there are millions of these universes, so we are a tiny speck in our own universe, and yet there are millions of these universes, right? Like when, when you think about just our universe alone, think about our universe alone as a body, Earth would be like the tip of a fingernail. 
that's all it would be, like in just our universe. And there's millions of them. So when I pray, hallowed be your name, I'm like, the earth is 14.7 billion years old. Evolution has somehow taken place to where we're all here. We're in this universe, one of millions, and we're this tiny little speck in it. Oh my gosh, hallowed be your name. You are way bigger and way more infinite than I could even imagine. And when people ask me, they say, Jonathan, will you pray for me or pray for healing or pray for this? I believe in it. Why do I believe in it? Because what I generally will pray in those situations is hallowed be your name. God, you are way bigger than anything I could even fathom. And being way bigger than anything I could ever fathom, I have no idea how this all works, but I have to trust that in some way you do. And if you know how this works in some way, then I believe that so-and-so's healing can take place because if we're just this little tiny speck of dust in the midst of a galaxy, I got to imagine that you know so-and-so in their pain and could do something with that. I don't know about it, but you do. Hallowed be your name. What else does this do? Hallowed be your name. How many people take selfies? Everybody raise your hand right now. <laughs> Everybody. Um... Selfies. You know what's happened since we started selfies? You know what has happened since Merriam-Webster made selfie a, a word? Do you know what's happened? There has been a drastic rise in the diagnosis of narcissistic personality disorder. <laughs> Did you all know that? It's true. Narcissistic personality. We, everything is about us all the time. Constantly about it. We are the center of our universe all of the time. Our actions and consequences, we can't see what they do to others. We can only see what they do to us. In fact, there's this uh, author, his name's uh, Ken Wilbur, and he says that we only like stories so long as they benefit us. If a story does not benefit us, we tend to throw it away. That's what narcissism is all about. When we say, hallowed be your name, what we're doing for one second of our day is saying, it's not about us. It is not about us. Hallowed be your name means there is something way bigger than us happening. And if there's something way bigger than us happening, we need to take the focus off ourselves for a moment. When we take the focus off ourselves, we're able to thank God for the wonder that is. Hallowed be your name. And then this is the last part we're going to talk about today, because y'all don't want me to preach for an hour, and I'm not going to. I'll finish next in two weeks. But then it says, a kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. I'm going to say something. I'm going to say something that might upset us a little bit. I'm going to say it anyway because I believe it. Heaven is not the goal. Heaven is not the goal. In fact, I'm going to say this, and I wrote it down. I just want to make sure I don't mess it up. When heaven becomes the goal of our lives, we become silent about things that happen in the earth or on the earth. When heaven becomes the goal of our lives, we become silent about what happens on the earth. In fact, Jesus talks way more about the kingdom of heaven here on earth than Jesus talks about going somewhere else. But yet, we've made it about going somewhere else. Oh, this place is a mess. I can't wait till I go to heaven. And what that does is it absolves us of anything happening here on earth. Well, what is heaven? Heaven, it, heaven, it roughly translates, and there's a lot of translations, and it's worth getting into more. But it roughly translates into God, what, when God gets what God wants. That's what it roughly means. When God gets what God wants. Wow, that's sort of beautiful, right? Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. So what we're praying is, God, we want you to get what you want. We want things to be the way that they are when they are perfect in you. And we're asking that, you, that we could partner with you in that. That's what we're doing. I think that's like, ooh, that's a privilege. That's also a little scary. Like, your kingdom come, now we got to work with God. Great. There goes our <laughs> selfie time. So I think, like, I, I think this is an, an incredible thing. And so for me, I, ha I say, well, 
God, you know, I'm going to hate injustice because there's no injustice in heaven. And I'm going to hate marginalization because there's no marginalization in heaven. And, and I'm going to make sure that I work, <coughs> excuse me, to make sure everybody is flourishing. Because everybody is flourishing when God gets what God wants. And so I'm working to make sure that, that, that there's nobody who has, is, is dealing with any unjust or, or, or painful or, or broken issues. And if they are, then we step up and we fix those broken issues. We step up and we work towards making that whole again because that is what heaven looks like. It's also the reason I believe in healing prayer because in heaven there's no cancer and there's no pain and there's no suffering and there's no sadness. It's what God gets when God wants. And I believe that we continue to pray that God's kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. And that's why our church is always going to promote flourishing. That's why our church is always going to care about, you know, quote-unquote illegal lives, black lives, gay lives, and everybody else. That's why we're going to always affirm everyone because on earth as it is in heaven, and that is the way we are always going to work. The disciples say, how do we be the light? How do we pray? Jesus says, well... Clear your house first. Let's stop praying without superstition. Let's stop praying with superstition. Stop, stop calling God the genie. Stop praying religiously. Nobody else needs to hear you. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray. We're going to be the light like God called us to do. So here's what I want you to do. Because it says Jesus went away, it's hard for us to get away right now. But I want us to practice. Let's practice being the light. Let's practice prayer. So do what makes you feel comfortable. What makes you feel comfortable? Maybe it's to go in the back to the prayer area that we have in the back now. Maybe it's just to close your eyes. Do it. Whatever makes you feel comfortable. Maybe it's to, to kneel, to bow, to stand. Do whatever makes you feel comfortable right now. We're going to practice being the light. <clears throat> Our Father in heaven. And what's that intimate image that comes to your mind? Find that image right now. Father, father figure, female. What image brings you peace, intimacy, love? Focus on that image. Do that right now. Focus on the fact that you're loved and you're secure and that nothing separates you from that God. That God wants nothing but to be with you. Hallowed be your name. Take time to comprehend how high and how wide and how large this God is. Maybe it's the picture of the universe. Maybe it's simply letting go of control. Maybe it's healing. Maybe it's saying right now, God, you're so big, I give you my pain, uncertainty, brokenness, knowing that you could take it on. Hallowed be your name, you're so big. Take the focus off of you. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What are you called to do? How are you called to bring heaven? Listen for it. How are you called to bring this kingdom? What are you hearing and feeling and thinking? How are you going to use your talents, your passions, your job, your resource to bring the kingdom? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And finally, let's pray this. Lord, I pray that our church, Forefront Church, and the individuals in it, our community, 
and the holy community that we are. Pray, Lord, that you would allow us to be the light. You would allow us to make space for you. That you would allow us to be intimate with you. Lord, that we would authentically choose this prayer. We do it in your name. Amen.